HawkFanatic.com. This segment brought to you by Cowboy Lawn Care. Hertine and Stocker Jewelers, 101 South Dubuque Street, downtown Iowa City. Big Dog Satellite, Internet, and Solar. Do not call an 800 number. You call Kevin and his crew at Big Dog. A Premier Dish Authorized Retailer, 338-6600. Supo's Flowers, the home of 1-800-800-ROSE. Hawkeye Courier Express. GT Car and his crew at Supo Siding and Remodeling. Mike's Lock and E-Keys for Cars. Steve Anderson, Hawkeye Title and Settlement. And Patrick Eads and his great staff at Deary Brothers Ford Lincoln. From hawkfanatic.com, here's Pat Hardy. Morning, Pat. Good morning. How you doing? Okay. All right. Yeah. Hanging in there. Seems to be my answer every time you ask me that. Yeah. Yeah. Not horrible, not great, just kind of. Okay. That's uh, how I responded to the same question this morning. I don't know how anyone can be great right now. Um... Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. I'm depressed, despondent. <laughs> I don't know if I'm that. Are you greatly desp- depressed and despondent? I'm pretty depressed and despondent. All right, I got to ask, what did, what did I'm, I just woke What did Trump do? I just woke up. Oh, I, don't, I have no idea. Tr- okay, he retweeted. Um, well, I'll read it to you. I have no idea. This weekend, when I when I walk out of this place, I pay zero attention to well. I pay attention. I just don't know. Politics. I haven't paid any I did, attention this morning. I did too. I'm behind this morning. So I'm just it. a lot happier when I stay away from that okay. stuff. But when he said he was depressed and despondent, it's usually something to do with our president. no. I think that's in general. No, that yeah, that's just the whole oh, weighing okay. down on your shoulders. Yeah. The... He retweeted this from Chuck Woolery. You ever seen um, Jim Carrey do Chuck Woolery impression? Yes, uh-huh. God, it's great. Yeah. Yeah, it, it is great. <laughs> the most outrageous lies are the ones about COVID nineteen. Everyone is lying. The CDC, media, Democrats are doctors. Not all, but most. We are told to trust. I think it's about the election and keeping the economy from coming back, okay. which is yeah. about the election. I'm sick of it. Yeah. He retweeted. Chuck Woolery. Yeah, that's I mean, that's just that's of, that's where we are, and I, you know, if I say too much about it, I'll get people. Your show's about the Hawks. Stay in your lane. If you if you're shut up, then I get the threats from the Trump Hawkers. If you keep talking this way, we'll stop following you on Twitter and stuff. Okay, like, goodbye. All that type of stuff. So yeah, I mean, I've you know, I got the uh, what can uh, you say, guy. Uh, Oh, you're telling people to wear a mask to live. Yeah, I am telling people to wear a mask. You bet. Yeah, I am because I mean, well, so are we. That's what most of the medical. Yeah, you can find somebody. You can find a doctor who's willing to go on the record saying masks are bad for you. There are some out there, and I I swear to God, most of them are fueled by politics. I think because I just ninety percent of the doctors, it seems say, yes, if you put something protective in front of your mouth, common sense tells you it's going to stop more stuff from going in and out. I mean, it's just common sense. It's like putting a screen on your door, you know? (laughs) Well, actually, it is exactly like that. And that's what I don't understand. It's just ridiculous, and we want to have football, and I'm more and more thinking we're not going to have football. Yeah, I don't think Uh, so either. I just don't think we're going to have football this fall. I think Uh, we'll have it in the spring, and it'll be... be Odd? Odd and a nuisance trying to cover football, basketball, baseball, wrestling. You know, I mean, I hope you have that dilemma. 
I hope I do too. I mean, I do too, and I hope that Tyler Devine is still. I mean, I you know Tyler Devine can make a lot of money in the spring. I mean, there's a ton of stuff that's going to be happening at the same time, which will be really weird. Mm-hmm. Think about football, wrestling, and basketball and baseball all going on at the same time, possibly. So men's and women's basketball. Yeah, think about yeah. that. That's what could happen. So what about rolling? Rolling. Um, that's not much of a spectator's thing. Rowing would be one sport you should be able to. Well, no, how could they? They're in their boat. They can't. No, they feet. can't social distance. They can't social distance in the boat. But, but in all fairness, they're breathing on each other's neck and not in their face. True, and you could quarantine them, and yeah. you know you could. I think that'd be hard though. It's a heavy breathing, except for the guy that's shouting through the megaphone. Yeah, well, Rowing. that guy. But yeah, uh, remember the episode of Johnny Quest when the. Um, no. They, were, they were the natives were chasing after racing them in a boat. And all of a sudden, the, that was every episode. No, no, this one though. The natives all of a sudden they not, didn't realize that their boat had a leak, and their boat just just slowly went into the water, and they never reacted to it. They just kept saying "Go, go, go," and then, then they, they drown. No, I think they drowned. Yeah, what a horrible demise. <laughs> For a cartoon. Do you remember the one? The do you remember the big robot one that looked like a giant spider? I don't remember. Yes, anything about Johnny Quest. No, I remember the robot one that looked like a giant spider. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I do remember. I just remember kind of what they looked like, and that, that's all. I don't remember I any plot lines. Thought it was stupid. Oh, I loved it. It just wasn't. I loved it as a kid. It, you were. It wasn't there to make you laugh. It was there to make you think. Johnny Quest. I don't think. Think about did, what. You just watched the, you know, cartoon figures. No, you say to yourself, okay, you've got a doctor (laughs) and his sidekick, Race Bannon, in the sun. How did they, I never did, how did they end up with Haji? What happened there? Uh, Chuck Woolery. (laughs) I have no idea. I don't care. Um, Yes, you've made that point. You've made that point. (laughs) Maybe this person. (laughs) Hello. Mr. Suter. Yes. With all the with these uh, little colleges and that shutting down some of their programs, yep. Uh, can the uh, player transfer to another school and play right away? And what do the uh, coaches? How much leeway do they have to recruit them? That's a, it's a good question, Pat. Have you seen any timelines? I would imagine that they would be allowed to transfer without penalty, but I haven't seen that written down. No, and it's all it hasn't happened yet. So I think we got to wait. I, I haven't. The NCA hasn't like rechanged their rules for the pandemic yet. But I think when things start to unfold and we realize, I mean, we're asking about something before it happens. Mm-hmm. I mean, this fall, the, the schools are still acting like we're going to play this fall. Acting like life's going to be normal this fall, even though I don't think it will be. Once they make the decision, oh, it's not going to be normal this fall, then all that stuff will uh-huh. start being that. Yeah, I think you'll be able to do a, I think they'll make a lot of exceptions. That would only be fair. But it's hard to make those exceptions right now because you don't know what the circumstances are going to be a month from now. I so. think the way the networks are handling it, the carry sports, is they are pushing uh, Congress as hard as hell to uh, to get some kind of insurance policy for them. Uh, for all the money they're going to lose. Right now, insurance companies can't cover them for that. Mm -hmm. I mean, if we go off the air, uh, there's a certain period of time that if we miss our commercials, we can get, you know, we've got insurance. Uh, But that's... And that's limited, though. Yeah, that's limited, and it's so minuscule compared to what they can lose. Uh And they don't have that kind of insurance that would, would, would cover what they can lose. 
Well, and they and evidently think that no matter what they got to pay for it, it's worth it. Well, and I think the colleges are hoping we can at least play in empty stadiums because if they play in empty stadiums, they're going to get television revenue. Business as usual, it's going to be the Iowa City economy that mm-hmm. gets hit the hardest, the hotels, the restaurants. And, right. yeah, the university suffers from that a little bit, but not, not directly. They'll still get their television revenue if they can play games. But like I said, I just don't think they're going to be able to play games this fall. I just don't think the circumstances are going to allow for it. I don't I, – it's going to be – I mean, how do you start – how are you going to open up campuses right now? Well, and that, that – I mean, you look at it right now, you can't even – Many places aren't successfully holding voluntary workouts. I mean, people are getting sick mm-hmm. just well, on... not getting sick, testing positive. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, some are getting sick. I mean, this notion that nobody under the age of 80 gets sick from COVID is ridiculous. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, there's, you know, I, mean, I just read the story of People Magazine, the guy, the Broadway actor... Cordero, forty-one-year-old, forty-one-year-old guy. guy. I yeah. mean, he's in perfect health. Ninety-six days, it just ravaged his body. He was in line for two lung transplants, and he finally died of septic failure because of COVID. Well, and if he wouldn't have had the income that the, oh, he would have died a long time ago. Yeah, he would have died right off. Yeah, and I mean, period. it's just so this notion that it's not out there, and then I just had someone tweet at me saying, you know, wearing masks, there's nothing that proves it's good or bad. The best practice is good hygiene. Yeah, I mean, good hygiene is very good practice, but you're still not convincing me that just having something covering my face isn't at least disrupting the amount of droplet flow well, coming. Of it it's is. just, of course it is. I mean, and, and the countries that did start wearing masks early, look what, yes. yeah, they want, I mean, they, look they at won. Europe. Uh, uh, Europe is playing their sports. And they started wearing mandating masks right away. And it's it's working for them. The only place it's not working is here. Yeah. And I mean, Bra- we're the, Bra- Brazil's still. Brazil, too. We're the epicenter of this whole thing, though. I mean, we got way. We We've got, got over, uh, well, I think it's like 28%. The whole world, we've got 28% of the cases. So, yeah, it's just. And um, Crazy. it'll be interesting. We have Chuck Yeagler coming on at 9.30. And, I mean, this thing's impact. I mean, think about how it's impacted Hawkeye sports. I mean, I, I'm convinced the wrestling team was going to win the national title. I think they would have won it pretty convincingly. Penn State just was not at Iowa's level this year. So didn't get that. Didn't get the Iowa basketball team playing in the NCAA tournament with Luca Garza. Didn't get the women hosting at home. Didn't get to see a vastly a very good Iowa baseball team. Didn't get to see a vastly improved Iowa softball team. It's been this virus has been a pain in the ass. Yes, it sure has. And still, though, some people just want to dismiss it like it's just some conspiracy thing, and I, that's what I just don't get. I mean, there's because the government is doing that. There's 137,000 dead people from this thing, but then the hardcores will say, yeah, but 80% of them died from something else. They just wrote down COVID. That's what we're up against right now. Yep. That's the amount of... Well, that's your president. Yeah. Mostly. I mean, it, it, it's the whole administration. It it's the administration. But I don't know what they hope to accomplish with this because it's not working. They want the chaos. They what they want is, uh, they, they, it's all centered on the election and the stock market. And, and as you can see, the stock market is not representative of And us. it's doing okay. It's, I, got ton, I, oh, yeah. tons, I got plenty of stock. Yeah. 
But you What's can't that? take it out now. Well, you can if you have to. Well, you, okay. You, you can if right you now, have to. Because now they're giving you breaks on it. You don't have to pay taxes on it. For the, I will say they are allowing you to use your tax-sheltered stuff and not get taxed on it now because of the pandemic. You don't have to do anything for three years. There's programs you can do now. Because some people, you know, some people, you have to. You don't have a choice. You have mm-hmm. to go into your I had all my money tied up in stocks. Other than what I have in savings and checking, and I mean I borrowed ten grand for myself this year. Luckily, I don't. They, I got it worked out to where it won't be near as burdensome tax-wise. Good. You know they have to do that though because a lot of people have no choice. Yeah. yeah. So, but no, it's just you're right though. It's all about the election and what have you. I just, I just to me it seems you're like fighting it's, reality, and reality will always win out. Well, it's going to be interesting to see if he starts talking and starts ordering sports to. Don't you see that's going to be happening? Well, you can't do that. But he, what do you mean you can't? He can do. He does whatever well, he wants. But, but you can't force the well, University he of said Iowa to you play can't. football. No, but he's all. Can you force Roosevelt Elementary to open up? No, no. He, can't he seems do to it. think he can. He th- he thinks he can, but the money actually was allotted by. No, Congress what I'm saying though is he'll still tweet it. He'll still. Oh, absolutely. I'm guessing, yes. some, I'm guessing yes. that some week someone's going to say, "Hey, here's a good distraction. Let's tweet about sports." Let's start saying yeah. it'll be interesting to see if he chimes in on college football and NFL. Well, he and already stuff like chimed in on the Redskins changing their name. What did he say? Uh, basically, nonsense. I, see, that's yeah. one that I thought should have been changed. That sure, one's, of course. you know, like the Cleveland. I mean, if like remember we said the Florida State Seminoles, mm-hmm. Seminole Indian tribe said keep it. We feel honored yeah. that you're native. If that's what they want, but I, I don't think I've ever heard an Indian tribe say, "Yeah, we like being called the Redskins." Have you guys? No, no. What are they going to change it to? Well, they, don't. they don't know yet. The I mean, I think it was um, that money guy from ES Darren Ravel or whatever. He said they should change it to the Redfields because that was the name of the the squadron of black airline pilots in World War II. It's really an interesting. That is interesting. It was an yeah. in, and it's similar to the name they have now. That was an interesting one. I have to give him credit. Redfields. I thought it was Redfields. I, I did see that. I thought that. that was interesting. The Washington Redfields. I never heard of. Them. I had neither. But it, um, they're going to be announcing that sometime. It's probably while we're on the air. They're going to be announcing the change. They said they were going to announce it this morning. Well, they're having a copyright. Uh, I don't know. The, the name they want to use, they got to get a copyright on it or some trademark. They could uh, do the Red Foxes. There you go. Tribute to a great black comedian. Yes, they could. Hello. Uh, you're looking for red tails. Red tails. What did I, what did I say? Red, red fields. fields. Okay, red, red tails. Yeah, Washington red tails. Red tails. I and actually like that. There's a lawyer in Washington who copyrighted all of these names that they were thinking of using, including that one. That's allegedly what part of the uh, copyright thing is. Okay. So, yeah, I would think that would be a neat one if they did that. So, okay, thanks. Yeah. I was close. I was thinking of the maybe the Hatfields and the McCoys. Who knows? Well, I never heard of that one either. So, no, I'd never heard. Never of heard of the Hatfields or McCoys. No, I've heard of the Hatfield and McCoys. I'd never heard of the Red Tails. That was no, an, uh-uh. that was an no, interesting one, and that. it would be very timely for what they're trying to do. And they said he's doing. Was was he threatening to lose advertising? Was that? Oh yeah, FedEx. I haven't been reading FedEx, it very closely. Uh, was uh, going to pull its sponsorship from okay. the field. Okay. Yeah. That's significant. Oh, huge. Money is what eventually gets people to react and what have you. So, no, it will be interesting though if 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 and when sports and politics collides here in the next month or so because eventually I think that topic will be brought up to him because at some point baseball and football 
and NBA, they're going to have to make a decision. I mean, it's... Well, the, the pendulum's in motion for, for, what is it, NHL, NBA, and baseball. I mean, they're going to be gearing up here to start... When? Within the next couple of weeks. I was going to say, oh, so, so August. Think about that. Yes. I mean, we're almost halfway through July. I mean, the NBA, I think they said they're going directly to playoffs. And yeah, they, and they've got them all quarantined. And yeah. where are they, down in Orlando? Uh-huh. Here's yeah. what Trump said about the change. Uh, honestly, I don't think they should change the name. Uh, I know uh, Indians that are proud of the name. They think it's a positive. Yeah, I'm sure he knows a bunch yeah. of Indians. <laughs> yeah, you know he <laughs> sure, doesn't. Sure you you know do. he doesn't know it. <laughs> <laughs> And he's not calling them Native Americans either. He reminds me of the guy. He reminds me of the guy who's had like seven beers out at a, at a you know, at a, at a bonfire or something or a party. Just and seven, doesn't who doesn't handle alcohol? Yeah, right? seven eight beers doesn't get violent or anything. Just starts pulling stuff out of. You know, he, he somebody would say, "I know Native Americans." He goes right for the yeah. Hello. With all these uh, sports not held play in front of fans, and if they're going to TV, there's only so much TV time. A lot are going to lose out. I mean... Oh, there's plenty of TV time. It isn't that. No, the, I mean, why would why would it be any different, the amount of time, because stadiums are empty? I'm not following you. Well, I, I just think you have... I, I just... I think <laughs> you have a lot of games going on without TV time, usually. But now everybody's going to be cramming in trying to get TV time. Well, some games will not be on. I mean, it's the survival of the fittest, too, with TV. Are you going to watch yeah, Iowa versus Are you going to watch Iowa versus Minnesota or Minnesota State versus, well, you, you know what I mean? I mean? Yeah, of course. Yeah, I, I get what you're well, saying. You but literally got hundreds but, of channels. And there's tons of games that don't get on television yeah. right now anyway. That won't change. I but if they bring other sports into a season that, they're not usually in. Well, no, that that will be a challenge. Yeah, if we have all this stuff happening at the same time, if it's moved back to the spring, then, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how TV handles everything because there will be a ton of stuff. I mean, the scheduling will will be different, but it'll bring other networks into play, too. I mean, think about a week in which the Iowa men's basketball team might play two or three times, the women play a couple times, you get an Iowa wrestling match and then Iowa football on Saturday. Think about that. Listen, they'll be sure. It'll be like ESPN puts stuff on TBS. Oh, yeah. They'll find a way to do it because it's all money. Yeah. You betcha. I mean, and without the fans in Iowa City and all over eastern Iowa, like you said, the hotels and everybody hurts, that hurts taxes a lot. Oh, but it doesn't hurt TV because you know what those people will be doing? They'll be watching television. Yeah. Television will be the only thing that benefits from this in a way. But, yeah, no, you're right. We've been talking. One other thing, that book last week that gal brought out about Trump, it, it, the smartest thing she said is when he says something, even if it's not true, he believes it. I mean, he really does. He, he is so mentally ill. Mm-hmm. And I understand him now. You look at him, and if he says it, he believes it. Yeah. Just, well, just like you believe they wouldn't be able to get all the sports on TV. <laughs> <laughs> Uh-oh. I'm sorry. That was mean. <laughs> that's, that's all right. I, I, we, we apologize on behalf of Captain. We're sorry. No problem. All right. I'll always listen to the show. Okay. Well, all right, it. it is going to be weird when television has to try to put men's basketball and football together during a long course of time because that never happens. I mean, just look, look at what they do for the NCAA basketball tournament, you know, on the early rounds. Yeah, it's, they bring in those weird – 
networks. Yeah, I uh, think you'll see a lot of that. Oh, I yeah. do like him. Yeah. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. I, I, I just couldn't avoid it. <laughs> it's okay. Hello. Morning, fellas. You see on the news that the university's budgeted out a million dollars to clean up all of the, you know, the vandalism that happened during. Uh, yep. Yeah. I did the see bad that. Actors. Yeah. Yeah. Of the protests. Yeah. I did see that. Yeah, that's. I mean, aren't they looking for the people that did it? Maybe have them buy gray cans of spray paint that match the cement. Have them. Well, you can't. I mean, unless there's video. I mean, yeah, how do you how do you do it? How well, do you, you can't do that. And the and most of the money is old capital is limestone, and you have to have specialized people come in and clean it. Oh wow! So I mean, that's the big part of the yeah, cost. That's a huge part of the cost. Yeah, it's unfortunate. It's, it's it unfortunate, bummer, yeah. you know. It's it's too bad that the protesting turned to riots in some parts. I was never for that. I'm never for destruction of property. No. I don't Nor get it. were a lot of the demonstrators. No, I mean, it's a, it's, it, it it's was a just, handful. It's a handful. It's unfortunate because a handful can do a lot of damage, and this is the last thing they need right now is a million dollars have to spend to do this when they're – You see, I see the president's cut his salary 50%, Reese yeah. Harrell. Yeah, that's significant. Think yeah, about that. Now, someone say, "Yeah, and he still wants. He still, yeah, he well, still, yeah." But, but it's still, it's significant. Think about that. Gary Varda cut his thirty. Oh, I'm sorry. We had somebody oh, waiting. Hope well, it's we not. got Adam on the line, and then oh, then never we got Chuck. Chuck then, calling at nine thirty. Yeah. So Adam. Hey, what's going on? I'll be quick. Okay, Adam. Sorry, we couldn't talk to you more. I wish we. Uh, you're gonna call in. Call in Wednesday. We'll talk more. You know, I told my wife okay. that Adam, and she didn't accept it. <laughs> <laughs> Here's Adam Aleska, Wells Fargo Advisors with the markets. Thanks, guys. Good morning, everyone. U.S. equities finished higher on Friday amid promising drug developments for the coronavirus, reviving hopes for a swift economic recovery. Gilead scientists said that the coronavirus treatment drug Remdesivir reduced the risk of mortality by 62% compared to standard care, while BioNTech stated that its vaccine could be ready for approval by December. The Dow on Friday finished up 369 points, ending the week with a 1% gain. S&P 500 rose 1.1% on Friday and finished the week uh, up 1.8%. And the Nasdaq Composite added 0.7% uh, on the day for its fourth record closing high of the week and extended the weekly gain to 4% overall. Uh, looking at travel-related stocks last week, they outperformed with Carnival, Carnival Corp. Uh, and American Airlines rallying 10.8% and 6.8% respectively. In other corporate news, Tesla jumped 10% amid speculation that the company is on the verge of joining the S&P 500, with analysts expecting the electric car maker to report a profit for the fourth consecutive quarter uh, in index requirement. Meanwhile, Netflix uh, on Friday added more than 8% a share after Wall Street analysts raised the 12-month price target to a street high of $670 per share. Uh, looking at the market today, it's up. Uh, U.S. Market, markets are higher here on Monday as investors once again focus on optimism surrounding COVID-19 treatment and vac- vaccine candidates. Uh, the Dow is currently up 313 points. S&P is up 31. And NASDAQ is up 143 points, once again, in early trading. In earnings today, Pepsi is adding 1.7% after revenue and profit beat analyst projections, citing a 4% jump in organic sales of snacks. Meanwhile, in merger and acquisition news, shares of Maxim Integrated are surging roughly 11.5% after agreeing to be acquired by analog devices in an all-stock deal. 
Once again, this has been Adam Holoska with Wells Fargo Advisors, LLC, member SIPC. If you're in the Iowa City, Coralville area, we can be reached at 319-338-3799, or you can always stop in and see us. Adam Holoska, Corrierian, Tad Stoley, Scott Higgins, and Karen Jackson. We're all at 501 12th Avenue, Suite 201 in Coralville, Iowa. Mighty 1630 KCJJ, Got Chuck Yagler on the... Uh... All right. Well, Chuck Yagler, good morning. Uh, I'd like to introduce you a little bit for those of you who uh, may not be familiar with your history. Uh, National Wrestling Hall of Fame 2004. uh, National champion at the University of Iowa twice. Big Ten champion twice. A Big Ten runner-up, Midlands champ, three times Midlands champion, Iowa Wrestling Hall of Fame, 1990, and uh, any big Hawkeye wrestling fan, uh, you talk about some of your favorite wrestlers, and the name Chuck Yagla is going to be right on their tongue. So, Chuck, good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me. You bet, Chuck. And hey, um, this is Pat Hardy, and I know that just Iowa just announced the 12-member advisory board for the for the Carver campaign, and you're the chair of that. Let's start there. I mean, what? just talk about what this board, kind of what you, what you guys are doing, what you hope to accomplish, and kind of just where, you, where you're going from here now that it's been announced. Yeah, we, we decided, you know, some of us alumni, you know, obviously we still want to be involved with a, with a great wrestling program at the University of Iowa, and they have this new facility campaign called the Carver Circle, and if people aren't familiar with it, they're going to build a new wrestling facility mm-hmm. you know, right next to Carver Hawkeye Arena, actually in the uh, grassy area that's between the arena and the baseball diamond, be on the same side as the street as the arena. And then I'll have a tunnel going from the wrestling facility into Carver Hawkeye. That's mm-hmm. one of the things Coach Brands, you know, when he, he's been dreaming about this for years, and one of the things he really wanted to do is have it close to Carver Hawkeye. He didn't want to have it, you know, out. out outside the city limits somewhere or some other, you know, ground that may be available. He, he wanted to make sure it was something that was, you know, really close and convenient for the athletes and still had that connection with uh, Carver-Hawkeye Arena. So as a group, you know, they asked me if I'd be willing to chair it, and I said, of course. You know, I, I had a great time at the University of Iowa, a great time wrestling there and loved the program, and, you know, it gave a lot to me, so I, I want to give back as much as I can. So... You know, what this group is all, it's all former wrestlers. You know, we have about, right now we're starting with about 10 or 12 guys. We actually haven't had our first meeting yet. You know, we're just getting rolling. We're going to have a meeting this week. And, you know, what we hope to do is, is really energize the alumni wrestlers, you know, to get them. You know, there's probably four to 500 alumni wrestlers out there that are, that are still living that, that gained a lot from the program, like myself. So, so you know, our main thrust right now, you know, is, is to try to energize them and see how much we can get the former wrestlers involved, you know, both not just in giving money, but getting back, you know, involved in the program. And this is a good way for, for us to energize it. Of course, ultimately, we want them to, to give a donation to the facility because sure. it's, mm-hmm. it's a huge thing for the, for the wrestling program, you know, and for the university. So, Chuck, do you have a, is there a, a dollar figure that you're looking at right at this point, or is it just get everything we can? I'm sure that we will establish, you know, wrestlers, you know, really have, like, to set goals. Yep. So I'm guessing we'll set a goal of a dollar figure that will come from this group. I mean, we, that's some of the things we'll talk about in our, in our first meeting. 
you know, but right now we do not have that number set. I know some of the some of the guys in this group have already stepped up and made a commitment. So, you know, so part of it's you know gonna gonna be the discussion of yeah, do we want to set a goal of a million, two million, three million? You know, I'm not sure what that number could or couldn't be, but we have high aspirations. You know, one of the things Coach Gable and Coach Brands, you know, and my coach, Coach Kurtemeyer, you know, they always talked about setting goals. So. So that's something that, that we want to do and, and want to just help this campaign get going. I mean, they're estimating the facility to be about $20 million. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're still in the early stages with the architects and, and getting the renderings and the drawings and figuring out the floor plan and all that kind of stuff. And they've got commitments of over a little over $10 million, I think $10.5 million. So they're over halfway, you know, to the, you know, estimated uh, goal of $20 million. So whatever we can do to, to jump in and, and help that along is, is what we're trying to accomplish. So uh, with $10.5 raised all, or pledged already, that does that allow you then to go full speed ahead and actually break ground if as soon as you get to that point you have enough money to start with? Yes. My, my understanding is, you know, I, I've been, I was involved early on with the little promotional dem- video they did, you know, probably, it's probably been two years, a year and a half ago. And my understanding was, you know, the Board of Regents, you know, once it got to to about half the projected budget, then we'd get the blessing because, you know, they, it's going to be totally funded by fundraising and donors. It's not going to be supported. You know, none of it's going to be state money that's going to be involved is my understanding. So, so it's 100% some private donations. And the way I understood it was once we got to approximately halfway – then we got the green light. So now, yeah, they're, Coach Brands is on a committee working on the plans with the architects. And, you know, if you understand the building process, you know, it, it takes time. So they'll, they'll go through and get the plans how they want them. And, of course, they'll have to do the drawings and the renderings and all that and then send it out to bid and go through all that process, which takes time. But, but my understanding is, yeah, the green light's there. So... The faster we can get going with all that stuff and the more money we can raise, we can put a shovel in the dirt. And I don't know if, if we have to get to a different number for that to happen. You know, that's part of the stuff I'll probably learn once we start having our meetings and, and working with, the, with some of the people from the university. Kevin Collins is actually the one from the university, from the, from the Center for Advancement, that's, that's kind of leading our group. You know, he's asked me to be chairman. And, He's the one that's directly responsible for the wrestling program, as far as his, you know, title within the athletic department and and within the University of Iowa Center for Advancement, which was used to be the foundation. So, so it's a learning process for me, but but I'm excited to get involved with it. Chuck, I'd like to take you back a little bit. I want to ask him one. Oh, right, go what, ahead. What kind of challenges does the pandemic? Mm-hmm bring up for you guys so, trying to do this is it is it a big challenge is it a something you have to deal with well that you know that's that's a good question with a pandemic there's so many unknowns in the future but you know personally i don't think it's going to be a challenge okay. for our fundraising efforts i think the the money's out there and the people want it to happen and i think you know i, I don't think that's going to be an issue for us at least i hope it's not you know but who knows you know what, what's going on with college sports now and and what's going to happen with football in the fall and what's going to happen with the winter sports with basketball and wrestling and 
you know, just there's so many unknowns, but, you know, hopefully with the pandemic that things will die down and mm-hmm. we'll get, I don't know if well, we'll get back to normal, but get back to somewhat Sometime, normal. Yeah. And, and just, you know, it's a great question, and I'm hoping it doesn't curtail any of our fundraising efforts, and I, and I, you know, I don't think it will. Chuck, I wanted to, to go back to your wrestling career a little bit. Uh, I used to love watching you. You had a wrestled Mark Chorella from Michigan, and you guys had just some epic matches. Tell me a little bit about what it, what it was like wrestling him and why it was that you guys matched up so well. well yeah, I had some great matches with Mark Chorella, and it's, it's funny you bring him up. He just found out last week that his father... His father passed away, which, you know, rest in peace for his dad. I mean, they were great supporters of wrestling. But Mark, Mark was a freshman when I was a senior, so it was my career was kind of one of those where it seemed like when these freshmen came in, you know, I had a struggle with them early on, but then, but then I figured them out and could beat them. The first time I wrestled Mark, it was in the, actually in the Midlands tournament, which you mentioned. It was my senior year and his freshman year, and, and he beat me in the quarterfinals of the Midlands tournament which, you know, obviously was very upsetting to me being a senior and defending national champion and losing to a freshman. But then, you know, obviously we had a bunch of more battles. You know, I beat him in the dual meet, and I beat him in the finals of Big Ten tournament. And so it was – and that would happen to be in the old field house, which was great for me. In my senior year, we, we hosted the Big Ten championships in the old field house, which just was a tremendous feeling. And that's when we first started getting the big crowds and – you know, before that, there was never a big crowd at the Big Ten tournament. I mean, it was they were okay crowds, but we had a huge crowd at the Field House. And you know, I, I distinctly remember before my match with him going out on the mat, and they announced our names. You know, and of course they announced his name first, and then my name. And boy, there was a huge roar from the crowd. And, <laughs> you know, and I just looked over. I you know happened to be looking at him. I looked over at him, and I could just tell. From the look, you know, and he kind of slumped his shoulders that, you know, it was like, he, he was like, wow, what's going on here? I mean, it was, it, in my mind, it, he was already defeated just because of the crowd. You know, the crowd was just so into it and so loud. And it was just wonderful. And, that, and that's, that's the, the, you know, the, the best match I had against him it, it, collegiately. I wrestled him in freestyle a bunch after that, too. But I think in my recollection, I beat him 7-1. to one, You know, it really wasn't even a close match. So, so it, was, it was great for me. And. You know, some of those rivalries, it's just great to to reminisce about them now and think about them now, and, and thanks for bringing that one up. So, Chuck, you were there under Gary Kirtlemeyer, but then Dan Gable came as an assistant coach, if I remember correctly. Now, can you talk about what it was like? Sometimes, maybe I'm wrong, Tom, sometimes I think Gary Kirtlemeyer gets, it's easy to overlook what he did. It, it, absolutely it is, and the, the groundwork actually was laid by uh, – Dave McCuskey, well, yeah, just prior to, to Gary. Chuck, and, can you talk about just the, the early foundation of building what became a dynasty under Dan Gable? Yeah, I mean, you know, I feel very fortunate to be at the start of that. You know, my freshman year was the first year uh, Coach Kerlemeyer was the head coach, and that was the, the first year that Coach Gable was assistant coach. Okay. So, I, so I was there right at the start, and I'm glad you, you mentioned Coach McCuskey. He was you know they had they had good programs mm-hmm. through the '60s, but never quite like it got to be. Obviously, I mean we're never national champions in that, but they always had good teams and good and good good competition, and and, and was a good great good team. But but then Coach Kurtlemeyer, he was such an innovator, and he had such a vision for it, 
And he was one of those, in my mind, you know, looking back, he was way before his time as far as thinking out of the box and doing things differently. Like we had these dual meets where he talked to the local McDonald's and said, hey, if we were wrestling Oklahoma, if we keep under 10 points, we'd give everybody a free hamburger. You know, and this was when Oklahoma was defending national champs. So I'm sure the guy at McDonald's said, well, there's no way, you know, that's going to happen. Well, it did. I mean, it was just he got the crowds going, got the crowds there. So I, I, Coach Kermer, I think, does get lost a little bit. I mean, the people that really know the history and understand it know how much of a factor he was. Number one, he was able to talk Coach Gable into coming over from <laughs> Iowa State and, and being assistant at Iowa. And then just – you know, building the program, like I said, getting the crowds and, and just getting our schedule more competitive. And then, you know, I really give him a lot of credit, too, for for turning over the reins to Coach Gable. I mean, he he was in his early, oh, I was going to say late 30s, early 40s when he became head coach. I think he probably was in his late, he was 36 or 37 without looking up, but when he was announced as head coach. So, and he only was head coach for four years and we were national champions two of those four. My junior year and my senior year were the first two years that we were national champions. And so, so he coached Ed coached for four years. But then I think he knew if, if Coach Gable, you know, didn't get the opportunity to be the head coach of Iowa, you know, other people would be, you know, chomping at the bit to, to have him go elsewhere. So he, he turned it over, actually. He stayed on and worked at the athletic department, which people know under the assistant athletic director. But but he coached for four years and then turned it over to Coach Gable. Of course, then everybody knows what happened. You know, the huge, huge dynasty and won nine consecutive national titles. And so it was just it was just amazing what what he did to get that going. You know, number one, like I said, to get Coach Gable there, and number two, you know, just to to realize that Coach Gable needed to be the head coach and needed that opportunity. And so you know give him a lot of credit for for turning yeah. it over to coach gable very unselfish yeah. very unselfish yes you also uh part of the resurgent not only you of course but you wrestled with some of the all-time iowa greats chris campbell and brad smith uh dan wagaman why don't you talk a little bit about uh some of those guys as teammates oh yeah we you know we had obviously some some great wrestlers back then i mean we just we all and a lot of it, I give a lot of credit, number one, to Coach Kirtlemeyer for getting those guys to come to Iowa. He, I mean, he got me to come as a walk-on. You know, I wasn't highly successful in high school, so I actually was a walk-on. You know, I had good grades, so I, I came as a walk-on with, with an academic scholarship for tuition with an understanding that I could earn a scholarship if I did good, which obviously that worked out, and I, yeah. and I did earn an athletic scholarship. But then, you know, with Dan Wagaman, from, he's from Illinois. Dan Holm was from Illinois. You know, Dan Holm was, he and I were national champions, mm-hmm. you know, my junior year, his senior year, and he was the weight above me. So so, he, so we started developing that culture, of course. That's what Coach Gable did. He he developed the culture of getting us to work hard and realize, you know, how how much work he could put into it and what he could get out of it. And then you mentioned Chris Campbell. He came from out east from New Jersey. He was just super talented, you know, a great teammate. He was a year behind me. You know, all these guys, obviously, Brad Smith, you know, these guys were all around my weight class, too, or close enough that I could work out with them all. So, so we had some great competition in the room, you know, and just and you develop a bond. You know, it's, it's just, you know, become lifelong friends. You know, I still stay, stay in contact with them, you know, for throughout different things and try to get them to come back as much as possible. It was fortunate for me, you know, living in Waterloo. I can get down to Iowa City a lot. 
And then Tim Sazeski, he was another. Mm-hmm. He and I were yeah. co-captains our senior year. You know, he went on and was head coach at Northwestern for many years. So I still see him a lot. You know, he's in charge of the Midlands tournament, so I still go to that every year. But you know, just some great friendships there. And and, and I was fortunate to stick around. And I was assistant coach for five years mm-hmm. after I graduated. So then you get a whole another group of guys that you know became really good friends with. You know, and and a different relationship as a coach, but still it was. I was still young enough. They were more like my teammates than, than my athletes. Here's a tough one for you. Was Gable a better wrestler or a better coach? <laughs> that, that is a tough one. You know, it's, That is a tough it's, one. It's, no, I don't think anybody's ever asked me that. But, you know, I, I'd, hard, I'd have a hard time picking one over the other. Me but too, yeah. He was, such, he was such a great wrestler. You know, if I had to pick one, I'd say he was a better wrestler. I mean, he was a, obviously a great, great coach. What made him so good as a wrestler? I mean, I, I'm, well, obviously there's a, but is there one or two things that really stood out about Dan Gable as a wrestler? Oh, he's he just one of those that he never got out of position, okay. and he was always in great shape, and he was always doing something. I, I tell people, you know, I worked, obviously, we were the same size, basically, mm-hmm. so I worked out with him a lot. You know, a lot of people say, boy, you were fortunate. <laughs> one of my teammates, I, he said that once, and I said, well, a little bit of Coach Gable goes a long way. <laughs> <you know? laughs> but the, the thing that he did that most wrestlers don't, most wrestlers, when you're wrestling, you know, you're having some action. There's a time where you both kind of just don't do anything. I don't want to say you're not doing anything, but you, you, it's like you can catch your breath. Sure. like you. One guy gets away and he just, well, that never happened with Coach Cable. He was always on you. He was always doing something. He had a hand on you, arm on you. He was always pawing at you, doing something. It was almost like a, a you want to compare it to a fly flying around here. Something gets like, get away from me, you know. Mm-hmm. But, but he, you know, it's really hard to describe it unless you experience it as a wrestler. But he, and, and the guys in the room, I mean, he, and people think this is folklore. It's not. He, he, could whip anybody in our room, you know, all the guys, even the heavyweights, you know, it was just, and it was, and you watch that, and, you know, if I hadn't seen it with my own eyes, you know, maybe I wouldn't believe it, but, but I saw it, and, and that, that continued for years and years, you know, it wasn't just when he was in his 20s, that went on for a long time. So, your freshman year was his first year as an assistant, you said, how surprised when you learned, wow, Dan gave the cycle, and all of a sudden he's, coming to Iowa, and I don't want you to speak for Iowa State, but i got to ask, how did Iowa State let him get away? I know Harold Nichols was still coach, but they got to be asked, how did they let him get away? Yeah, that was that was kind of a interesting thing. I mean, they Harold Nichols was the head coach, uh-huh. and Les Anderson was a longtime assistant. You know, and I'm guessing, you know, Harold Nichols wanted to be loyal to Les Anderson. And back then, no, no program had more than one assistant. Okay. You know, I don't know, you know, why they didn't feel they could have two. I mean, there was no regulation for it. In fact, Iowa was the first program. I was the first second assistant at a school. You know, and then it, once we, Iowa did it, then everybody else started doing it. Well, now it's regulated. But back then, you know, you could have, you know, paid coaches that weren't just the, the full-time, one full-time assistant. So I don't, I'm not sure why, you know, I'm guessing, well, obviously hindsight, they, they know they really messed up. But I'm not sure if it was – just oversight. I, mean, I think a lot of it goes back though to Coach Kirtlemeyer. That's what I was going to ask. Yeah, do, doing things behind the scenes. Yeah, and I, and I, and just. I mean, I don't know all the stories, but I've heard I've heard little stories about like like Gable. He needed some athletic tape. He went through a lot of athletic tape because he's one of those guys. He worked out all the time, so he'd have to tape his knee or tape his elbow or tape his ankle. 
And evidently, this is when he was still in Ames training. This was the year before I got there when he was training for the Olympics. And Coach Kurtemeyer got wind of the fact that he was he needed a lot of tape. And evidently, the athletic department at Iowa State was you know, not being very generous with their tape form. So he bought like a case of athletic tape okay. and, and mailed it to him. And I don't know if that's true, but I, I've heard that story. And it's like just little things like that. And then, and then he got a hold of Coach Gable's parents, you know, and started talking to them about it. And he got it. And Coach Gable tells us, he says, well, yeah, he got a hold of my parents. He got a hold of all my friends, the, pe- my, the people who influenced me. He didn't so much call me and try to talk me into it. He just started talking to everybody that was around me, all the people that influenced my life, you know. So Interesting. So it was, it's, it was a very smart thing for Coach Kirtlemeyer, and obviously it, it worked well for me, and it worked well for the University of Iowa. I mean, for me personally, being from Waterloo, obviously I knew who he was. I, mean, I didn't know him well. I had met him. I knew him. He was six years older than me. He had a there's another wrestler that was a year younger than me, Tony Cordes, that wrestled at our the rival. I went to Columbus High School, the parochial school, and Tony went to West. And, and Coach Gable, his Tony's parents and Coach Gable's parents were best of friends. So Coach Gable coached Tony a lot and okay. kind of like brought him up. And so and Tony and I were friends. So Tony had a mat in his garage. So he'd call me up and say, "Hey, Coach Gable's going to be in town, and he's going to be working out, and he's got the Peterson brothers and Chris Taylor." So you want to come over and, and watch or, you know, or work out if you want? And I said, well, I'll probably just come watch. So I'd go over there and sit in the corner and watch. You know, So, so I got to know him a little bit. And, and then Coach Kirtlemeyer told me that he was trying to get him to come. It was not official when Coach Kirtlemeyer was recruiting me, but I knew it was in the works. Okay. And then, you know, I, and I honestly don't know if that was actually announced before I decided to go to Iowa or not, but, but – I'm glad I made the decision. I pretty much had it narrowed down to University of Iowa or the University of Northern Iowa. You know, they both wanted me to come as a walk-on, and I, I made the right choice in my mind. Obviously, going to Iowa. I got to ask you the name Chris Taylor, Tom. You've heard? Oh my gosh, yes! I, I mean, used to I love to watch him wrestle. As a young kid, I was really. I that's one of the first names I remember about wrestling. What was he like in person? I mean, just to be around him in person. I mean, I just remember. Oh, watching. he was very. They called him a gentle giant. He was. I was around him not a lot, but uh, obviously a few times. You know, because of my association with Coach Gable and mm-hmm. other wrestling functions, but. Very, he was a very nice man, but man, was he large. He was, he was really big. I mean, they have a famous picture. I think it was probably in the Des Moines Register of, you know, he the most scales for wrestling went up to 300 pounds, and you know they didn't have ones that went over 300. And he weighed anywhere from, I think, 420 to 440 in that range somewhere. And so they had him. I think he was he when they went to a meat locker and had him hanging from a from meat hook. Wow. So they could weigh him, you know, and show, in fact, we figure out how much he weighed, you know. But he was so big; he was his hands were huge, you know, just a just a very big man, but very nice. You know, he when he wasn't wrestling, he was he was a very nice That's gentleman, and, and yeah, and I was glad I got to meet him. And obviously, he died very very young. I think he was twenty nine years old. Very he had sad. some some rare. I think it was a. I can't remember what the disease was, but it was kind of a rare, rare disease. I'm not sure if it, was, if it was related to his weight or not, but very sad that he had to go so young. He wasn't just a blob, though. He was a good wrestler. Oh no, yeah. He, if you watched him wrestle, he moved well. You know, for a big guy, he really did. Yeah, he 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 moved very well. He was he was actually fairly quick, and obviously he was he was big. <laughs> Chuck, how did you go from being a walk on? 
to what did, did the light turn on at Iowa? What happened at Iowa? That, how you transferred? Yeah, it's people a lot of people ask me that too. It's got, I was second in state in high school. Okay, I only so, qualified uh, for the state tournament my senior year. I so you were hardly chopped liver. That. Okay, I see. And I, I know, and I got, ended up getting second. And you know, it's one of those things. You know, when I got to Iowa, I think a lot of it was, and I give credit goes back to Coach Gable. You know, people say, well, "What what happened?" You know, what changed? And I tell them. Two words, Dan Gable. You know, I, I got around him and just not that he pushed me to do diff- different things, just being around him and seeing how hard he worked. And, you know, I didn't realize, you know, it, it would help you to work out two or three times a day. I mean, I didn't know. And back in my day, then nobody did that. You just worked out once a day. And, mm-hmm. Well, when I got to Iowa, it's like, well, Gable's working out twice a day, and he's not even competing anymore. You know, <laughs> so, so then I started working out twice a day and just, you know, I think I was like, kind of like a sponge, just seeing what what you could do to to better yourself. You know, the weightlifting, the running, the conditioning, and just the practice, and just all those combined. And then getting in a room with other guys that are have the same mindset. Not that my high school room, you know, wasn't. I'm not put, trying to put it down, but I didn't have that kind of competition sure. in my high school room. My high school, you know, we were an okay team, but we weren't anything. You know nothing at all compared to the Iowa room. And then when Gable came, he had all these guys that wanted to wrestle for the Hawkeye Wrestling Club that showed up. So we had another six to ten guys that were out of college that wanted to be around Coach Gable, that wanted to train for world teams and Olympic teams. And so then you, then you got a whole other set of workout partners. And most of these guys were former national champions or or world team members or, or whatever, but they they were you said chopped liver. They weren't chopped liver. They were they were really really tough guys. Mm-hmm. They were tough competition. You know, I tell people, and it's it's probably similar today, or maybe it's maybe it's not the same today. But back in my day, you know, we you worked out with those guys during the week, and then when we had a a dual meet on the weekend, it was like a relief because all we all we have to do is go against a college guy. You know, that's gonna be easy. <laughs> you know, so it's like. You know, you just in either, in my mind, you either got better and you realized what what you had to do to get better, or you couldn't take it and you quit. You know, so the guys that stuck with it and got better, you know, really benefited by having that kind of competition, and those guys in the room, and of course, a lot of it's Coach Gable, sure. you know, and, and just his his influence. With Coach, and that's when Jay Robinson came. He's one. He's a good example. He's one of the guys that came. He just came to Iowa because he wanted to be around Coach Gable. He didn't have, you know, he wasn't hired as an assistant. I think he just got into grad school. And then they, they we called them all grad assistants. I don't know if they all went to grad school. But but for, but the whole time I competed at Iowa, Jay Robinson was, he was not on the payroll, but he was in the Hawkeye Wrestling Club. And he, and he was just a great teacher of the sport. You know, he complimented Coach Gable because he, he really stressed the technique and work and learning moves, whereas not that Coach Gable didn't stress that, but Coach Gable, obviously, the hard work and the dedication was more his mantra and more his. That's what I was going to ask you. Yeah, so so they were a great team. And then, obviously, of course, he, he became a longtime assistant to Coach Gable and then, of course, went on to Minnesota and became the head coach and then won a couple, two or three national titles at Minnesota. So just having those people around and around the room, well, you couldn't help but get better. And Chuck, let's look ahead or look to modern day here. This past year with Iowa wrestling, I, I obviously we're biased here, but 
I think it looked obvious on paper that Iowa was going to be better than Penn State this year. They already beat him in the duel, but just how frustrating was it to see the way the season ended for the wrestling team? Spencer Lee, I mean, he has a chance to be the first four-time champion. Now that's in limbo. Just what were your feelings when you saw how that went down for this team this year? Oh, that like yeah, very, very frustrating. Yeah, Iowa was, you know, in my mind, a heavy, heavy favorite. I mean, yeah, yeah we, had, we had won the Big Ten handily. You know, and you can't compare the Big Ten tournament to the national tournament, but but when you win that tournament, you know, in the way we won it, and the, the team we had with every weight class, we had somebody that was, I think, you know, at the end of the season, they were all ranked in the top eight or ten, you know. And so you have, you have a team full of ten guys that are all potential, you know, I shouldn't say potential, probably favored all of them to be All-Americans. Mm-hmm. You know, you got a good team. And so that's very frustrating. Geez, like you said, Spencer Lee, you know, who knows what's going to happen if he'll have a chance to be a four-time national champ. I don't know if that's, you know, anything there that can be worked out or not, you know, since he hasn't redshirted. But, uh, you know, who knows? That's, there's a lot of a lot of questions still with the pandemic and, you know, you know, who knows. And then you take a guy like Pat Lugo, who yeah, is a senior. senior who is a former All-American, but he's he's a number one seed, and he you know had beaten everybody that looked like was going to be his toughest challengers this year, and he's got a really good shot at being a national champion, and now, you know, he's he's done. You know, so it's it's very, very frustrating, you know, and, and, you know, you feel more for the individual. I mean, the team thing, yes, that would have been great. I think we would have won. We got to get back on the on the top of the podium as a team, but all those individuals that were, you know, deprived of that opportunity because of the pandemic, it's, it's very frustrating and, and really feel, feel bad for them. And when you say get back on the pedals as a team, I was going to ask you, I mean, Penn State has, I mean, they've obviously doing a lot of things similar to what Iowa did under Dan Gable, under Cale Sanderson, but for Iowa to get, how important it, now that Tom has, I'm not saying they've caught up and they've turned the tide. You know what I mean, though. How impor- Iowa is back right there on paper. Right now, Iowa looks a little better than Penn State. Now, whether they can sustain that is something different. But Chuck, how important is it that Iowa has kind of reclaimed that, at least for the, for now, they seem to have the a little bit of an edge over Penn State? Well, I, I think it's very important, and, and I think, for the for the fans and for the sport in general, I think it, it makes it more exciting for everybody. Obviously, you know, we when we were on top for a long time, that was frustrating for others, and and we became the bad guy. You know, everybody wanted to beat Iowa. When Iowa wrestler came out there, everybody cheered for whoever the Iowa guy was wrestling. Well, that Penn State's kind of got that. In, I mean, Iowa never really lost that totally. People no. still still remember Iowa and still don't like to root for Iowa. You know, the the non Iowa people, of course. I mean, they they love Iowa wrestling and love the sport. But I'm, but for us to get back on top, I think it was it was it was very important. And for Coach Brands, I think it was important. And I think I mean he's so competitive, and mm-hmm. I I know in his mind, he, you know, he wanted nothing but to win, be number one. He he didn't want to be two or three or four like he had been so many times. You know, people said, well, it's great, you're still getting a trophy. You know, he didn't want a trophy. He wanted the number one trophy. Mm-hmm. And and for us to get back on top, you know, it's just a shame that we couldn't do it this year. But hopefully things will be okay next year. We have, I would say, just as strong a team coming back. Yes. We, you know, Pat Lugo was the only – we had 10 seniors, which were great guys that were in the room and great workout partners. But Pat was the only senior that was actually starting on the team. So, I mean, you hate to lose seniors always, but but we have other guys coming in now 
we've had some great recruiting years. So I don't think we're going to skip a beat from from this past year. We'll have a really, really strong team. Just hope we can have a, a somewhat normal wrestling season. You know, who, with the pandemic, you know, who knows what's, yeah. what's in store. Well, Chuck, going back to the fundraising efforts for the new facility for the wrestling program, um, is there a web, website already yeah. set up where they can donate or phone number to call because, uh, you know, people are interested in this and uh, want to be able to help? Well, I think if they go to, there's a website, carvercircle.com, you know, I think you could, they can find all the information that they need and... I, you know, I actually haven't looked recently to see if there's a donate button there, but I'm sure there'll be information on carvercircle.com mm-hmm. okay. if they're interested in donating or, or need a phone number to call to, to get, get a donation. But you know, that'd be the best way is to go to that website and, and, and check out what information they have there. Okay. And Chuck, I want to ask you about Spencer Lee. Um, just, just your overall thoughts on him. I, um, I'm not comparing him to Dan Gable or anything. I mean, but it does seem like Spencer is on the attack all the time. I mean, just talk about, is he as good as you thought he was going to be? Is he better than you thought? And just what makes him so special as a wrestler? Spencer Lee is, I'd call him a generational talent. You know, you can't, you can't really compare him to other wrestlers. He, he has his own style, you know, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't compare him to Coach Gable. I mean, just... He's he's really really good, you know, and it's just he's better than I than advertised in my mind. I mean, okay. I knew he was good in high school, you know, when we recruited him. You know, I read up on his credentials. Obviously, he had great high school credentials, and I knew he was really good. But a lot of guys have great high school credentials. You know, you come to college, you know, it's a whole different ball game. Mm-hmm. It's it's just another step up. But boy, he's he's better than than I thought. And he's and he's such a great person. And that's you know. You couldn't find a better representative for our wrestling team at this time. I mean, he's just he represents the team so well and represents the university so well and represents the state of Iowa so well. He's just he's just a great young man and he's just so talented wrestling. It's when, it's it's hard to describe his style, but my boy, he's when you say talented, what I wouldn't what, have, want to have to wrestle him. Let's put it that way. Well, when you say talented, is there one or two things when you when you talk about that? What do you mean exactly? Is he great with leverage? Is he strong? Is he quick? I mean, what what does he do that separates him? Well, he he has this one move when he get he gets on top. He does this tilt, and he must be super strong grip or, and super strong forearms. Okay. You know, one time I I talked to him about doing pull about lifting weights and he said in high school he hardly lifted weights but he did a lot always did a lot of pull-ups and push-ups and he said and he, he said yeah i can I, I do a lot of pull-ups that's all what's a lot it was like and i think he said he could do like 95 at one time and i just 95 pull-ups i was like that's wow. i mean that's unheard of <laughs> it's like it's wow. crazy so so he's i think he's he doesn't look if you look at him he doesn't look super strong but no, he, he doesn't have a super he has to have a super strong grip you know, and I've never asked anybody that, that competed against him. I suppose I, you know, could ask some of the guys in the room that have to wrestle him in practice and say, well, what, you know, what's this, what is it with this guy? But, but I haven't done that. But, uh, and that's part of it. And he, and he, he doesn't get opposition very rarely. I mean, obviously he's got good balance and that kind of stuff and quickness and, you know, but, but I think mostly it's, it's probably his grip and his hand strength that, that set him apart 
At least that's what appears okay. to me when I watch him wrestle. Chuck, this has been a lot of fun. I mean, we just it's, killed a half an hour. I mean, it went it so sure fast has. we could go on forever. I mean, is there anything else you want to say about the fundraising or whatever? Or have, we, um, have we covered everything you think? And then Tom has one last question that we ask everybody who's associated with the Hawkeyes that we'll get. Anything else that you want to get out there for our, our listeners? No, I appreciate the time. I, I don't have anything else. Okay. But if anybody has uh, any interest in, in, in helping the program, I mean, just jumping into that the Carver Circle campaign would be very much appreciated. Okay, we will help spread the word. All right, Chuck, thank you so much. Now, I have an unfair, non-wrestling-related question for you. <laughs> Remember, it's a radio station. Yes. Okay. Okay. So Gary Barta picks up the phone, calls Chuck Yaglin, and says, Chuck, I got a project for you. We're a little shy on the money as, because of call, the virus and call. stuff. And I need you to hire a band or an act, uh, and it's going to be your baby, Chuck. Hire a band or an act to fill Kinnick Stadium. It can be past, present, whatever, but it's up to you. Who are you going to hire to fill Kinnick Stadium? Well, that is a tough question. Coach Brand said the same thing. I I would have to say... To hire a band or a group, oh boy, I would, I would go with. You know, and people are probably going to laugh. I'm going to go with Neil Diamond. Okay, wow. okay, that's a new one. Um, <laughs> no, Coach Brand said Dwight Yoakam, didn't he? Yeah, I think he oh, did. I, I think he did. Well, Neil Diamond in his day would have. Oh sure. Would have. Oh. Wouldn't he have filled out Kinnick Stadium? Oh, definitely. Okay. Okay. Yeah, no, that's, that's no, that's a good answer. That, Chuck, thank you again so this much. This is a lot of fun, Chuck. Appreciate it. And I appreciated. I yep. uh, loved watching you wrestle, and thank you so much for helping elevate the Iowa wrestling program yeah. to the to the best in the nation. Oh, thank you guys. All right, great, Chuck. Great thanks. Job you're doing on the radio. Okay. Thanks. You bet. Take care. Boy, that was fun. Uh huh. I could have talked to him for. I'm not a huge wrestling guy, but I like wrestling. It's easy to like wrestling when you're at Iowa because it's usually so much fun to cover and watch. And Coach Brands makes it entertaining. Gable was entertaining. I, mm-hmm. I had Gable. I think I was here. Gable retired in 97, didn't he? Wow, think about that. God, that's crazy. I was only here for five years with Gable now that I think about it. Well, how many years has Coach Brands been? Oh, God. He started in 2000, 2008. They won national okay. titles under him in 8, 9, and 10. So 12 years So at least? he's been there 12 years. Yeah, I mean, think of it. Gable's been gone for 23. We did a live broadcast from Gable's house in 96. Yeah. A year yeah. before he retired. I just saw Gable out at West High yeah. watching the City High West doubleheader. He and his wife were out there. His grandson is a really good shortstop mm-hmm. for I'm mean, really I, I figured it had to have been a, a relation. With the name Gable than, Mitchell? Yeah. Well, yeah, because, you know, his Dan's daughter's married to Brian Mitchell, who's the coach. But, um... Gable's a he's a really good player. He's so smooth at shortstop. I mean, I've, he's got that where the ball cuts out of his glove into his hand for those little shovels. So he makes it look so easy when it's not. No, it isn't. So no, that was that was fun. And I think Gary Kurtelmeyer. I think what gets overlooked with Gary Kurtelmeyer is just what Chuck said. How innovative. And I don't want to say sneaky, but no. in a way he was sneaky in a good. You know, it was all above board. But he basically just kind of. Lure Dan Gable away from Imagine if you're an Iowa State wrestling fan and you think of Dan Gable and Cale Sanderson. Think about that. He what was, the hell? Uh, well, Gary Kirtlemeyer was a tough SOB, too. Did he have a little he, bit of Evie in him? Um, no, I don't think he was a dick. <laughs> <laughs>
No, my dad always thought <laughs> thought the world of Gary. Did Kirtleman. your dad ever refer to Evie as a dick to you? <laughs> no, I don't think that term was <laughs> actively. Uh, Can you imagine? Neil <laughs> Diamond. In the seventies, he would have filled Kinnick, wouldn't he? He's got the possibility of still doing that. Uh, do you true. think he could fill Kinnick now? Neil you know, Diamond? I really, possible. I really do. Uh, but uh, can you think of all the complaints of him yelling? <laughs> I <laughs> am. Hey, I said, <laughs> there's some old guy yelling. <laughs> <laughs> hey, where's the stage? <laughs> Hello, lonely old grandpa. Derek. Hey, Log D. Good morning, happy Monday. Great interview with Chuck Yagla. Good yeah, that was fun. It was great talking to him. Allow me, please, to just elaborate a little bit on Gary Kurgemeyer. Uh, I had the chance as a student to uh, work around him, and uh, he was a true gentleman, mm-hmm. one of those greatest generation guys, very quiet, uh, humble, and I think really appreciate him best you have to remember that he was the head wrestling coach as you know and when they when the powers that be came to him bump and and uh i think uh, what's his name over at bandag um came to him and said we've got a chance to get dan gable here and we need to promise him the head coaching job not only did kurtelmeyer go along with it but he understood what bringing Gable to the program. Yeah, that's what Chuck said. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, he was very unselfish, and he had vision. Vision. That can't be overestimated. No, that's kind of what Chuck said, didn't he, Tom? Kind of said that was one of the greatest things Gary Kirtlemeyer did was step aside because they would have lost Dan Gable. He became the assistant athletic director for Bump and, again, was always present, just a really calm, easygoing guy. I had a chance to work with his son, who was also on the wrestling team at the time I was a student. And just like his dad, a really nice, quiet, easygoing kid. I forget if he went to West High or City High, but uh, just a really regular Joe. And uh, much like his dad, uh, I again, I remember his sister being a student at the same time, just nice people all the way around. And, um, That's good to yeah. hear. Let's get back to Evie, though, Tom. What was Evie? <laughs> he was dick. kind of a dick. <laughs> <laughs> Well, no, that's, I mean, um, that's interesting that Dirk uh-huh. worked so closely with them, and, you know, that kind of gives us another uh-huh. view of what Gary, that's nice to hear that he was a good guy. I mean, it's unfortunate that Evie was a... Uh, oh, my dad thought the world of Gary Kirtlemeyer. And he your really dad was did. just petrified of Evie for the most part. No, he no. Not afraid of him, but just, no. did he ever go face-to-face with him and say, listen, man, it's my way or the highway? Uh, no, that wouldn't, my father was non-confrontational. What would Evie have done? Throwing him out of the office, probably. <laughs> <laughs> I love the stories of Evie. I mean, you've heard them. I mean, the Evie sure. stories are the best. I mean, the one, the big, what was this guy's name? The Al Lewis or whatever that was been talking all summer about how he was going to go Grandpa first. Grandpa Munster? Yeah, what was the guy's name? I, Frank oh. Lewis or something. Frank you, Lewis sounds right. You've heard the story, right? Yes. He's telling his teammates all summer, I'm going in there first day, I'm going to tell that SOB. where." He, and then he went in there and just melted. When every, What do you want? When Evie just looked at him, glared at him. Glared at him, he said. He went back and said, oh, God, I just melted. Yeah, I mean, I met Evie one time, and it was over at the Hall of Fame when he was back in the mid-'90s. And he was old, but he still had a presence to him. 
Yeah, he was he one st- of those guys. He just had a presence he to did. him. Now, Gary Kirtlemeyer seems like he was one of those guys who didn't care if he had a presence to him. He was very unassuming. He did a lot of great stuff. But like Dirk said, and like Chuck said, Gary Kirtlemeyer knew when something was bigger than him. And that's when he was willing to that step was aside. That huge, yeah. When he was willing to step aside for Dan Gable, to me, that's one of the greatest things that's helped the Iowa Athletic Department. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was huge. Because, you know, Gable owed no, he had no ties to the Iowa Athletic Department. He was an Iowa State guy. He and, a, and it's not like uh, Gary Kirtlemeyer was chopped liver. I mean, he had two national championships. And he was in his 40s. And he, No, he was a terrific coach. Tremendous sacrifice. Yes, one of the biggest uh, sacrifices. I mean, you know, it was it was an unbelievable sacrifice. Now it's not like he fell back on a horrible job. Well, I mean, no, they dangled a, what was perhaps a better carrot in front of him at the time. And so, did he stay and retire, or did he ever go leave Iowa and go do anything else? Do you know? I wonder if Dirk knows that. Do you know if he retired here? I don't think so. I thought he left and went and did something I, else. I think so, but I can't recall where he okay. went. But no, that to me is one of the biggest. Decisions, you know, that and hiring Hayden Fry, hiring Lute Olson. We can talk about that. We got a call. Hello. Yeah. Hello. Hi. Hi. Uh, when when uh, Colonel Meyer was, he used to be coach up at Jefferson High School in Cedar Rapids. When he was up there, I had his youngest daughter in my room. And then when they moved to Iowa City, uh, I think his kids went to City High because my husband had them over at Southeast okay. Junior High okay. in his, his room. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. Interesting. That's good. All right. Well, thanks for sharing that, Karn. Do you know what Gary Kirtlemeyer, did he retire here or did he go somewhere else? He retired here. He did. Okay. Okay. Yeah. All right. Now I got it. What about Evie? Well. (laughs) (laughs) That's my question for today. What about Evie? Evie retired, period. Did you ever meet Evie, Karn? (laughs) Did you ever meet Evie? Yeah, I met him. I met him. I met his wife. Met his kids. Where'd you meet? Like a one-time thing or several times? Or what was he like when you met him? Oh, he was friendly. He just said hi and kind of like a, you know, hi, you're just one of my peons or whatever it was. <laughs> was he scary? And no, I didn't think he was scary, but I thought he was a little bit on the rough side. Okay, okay. I've just <laughs> but all... I heard lots of stories about him, which I won't repeat. Oh, so. I, I hear him, too. Like I said, I've always been fascinated by him. Why don't you just repeat like five of them? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> We still got 15 minutes, Karen. There's plenty of time. But, but no, but no. Uh, thanks for sharing that about... Um, but that was a very good interview with Yagla. Yeah, he was yeah. good. He's I, good. I've met him many times, and he's a very nice... Very you know, nice I guy. didn't ask him, didn't he have a rivalry with Pete Galea from Iowa State? I meant to ask him that. Pete Galea. Hmm. I thought, I could be wrong. I was going to ask him what, like what some of the other I rivalries had, were, and I did Because I remember as a little kid starting to read the paper, and I always thought it was Chuck Yegla getting the slight vest over Pete Galea, but I could be wrong. I could be getting my um, wrestlers mixed up. But no, that was a good interview. I enjoyed it, and, you know, they. I think it's really neat. I think if they get this wrestling facility built, that's going to give Iowa a nice edge. That's going to mm-hmm. really that help is. Them. I'm anxious to see what it looks like, and I'm anxious to see how it connects. Yeah, me too. Connect some way underground. Yeah, that's with, what you're saying. They're building a tunnel. Hawka, the Hawk Carver Arena, but I'd like to know how does it. They're building a tunnel. I think El Chapo's designing it. <laughs> that was a, you get that joke, Captain? Yeah, I got that. I know how they're going to do that. I get Carmen. jokes. I, I'm not sure. Karn, did you get my joke, El Chapo? <laughs> <laughs> hey, a little levity. You know, got to have some Anyway, levity. guys, take care. All right, Thanks, Karn. I think I we'll drove Karn away. 
I wanted to hear those stories. Now, Evie's daughter was my teacher in, when I was a senior. I heard she was hot. And, oh, my God, yes. Oh, Was she intimidating? No, she was great. Really? She was a wonderful teacher, uh, very pretty, very smart, extremely liberal. Hello. Was, was Evie liberal? Yes. Was he? Okay. Hey, Absolutely. Uh, good, good morning, gentlemen. Morning. Hey, John. Bo- hey, John. John, John Bomber, great interview. I've got some Evie stories. I can some personal stories. I can. Let's hear them. Let's hear them. Bring them up, buddy. Uh, my uh, grandfather, Jim Nesmith, who started our company, Plumber Supply Company, in 1951, he was very close to the athletic program and was was close with Evie and did recruiting back in the day when, when pe- private people would go out of town to do recruiting for the NCAA. So he used to make two-week recruiting trips um, out in the country, you know, all over the country. And the NCAA was coming in to investigate the university and came to see Evie, and Evie... Evie, what he did, he, he took the coward's way out, and he fingered my grandfather and uh, George Scanlon and E.K. Jones as people that they should talk to. And the NCAA came, basically came to my grandfather and said, stop it, cease and desist, or the university will be put on probation. Da-da. So he knew it was Evie that had fingered him, and from that day forward, they never spoke. Um, it was just a, a manner of, you know, Evie covering his butt. And... Uh, my grandfather used to have great tickets at uh, the old uh, field house right underneath the basket, and I can still remember him telling me at one of the games he looked across the way, and Evie was sitting right in the middle over there and was staring at him. And he says, I'll bet you I don't have those tickets next year. <laughs> sure enough, they were gone. <laughs> That's what <laughs> Evie was still the AD. Evie was still the AD. But he was, um, you're right, he had a presence, Pat, and, he, and, and my grandfather used to say that they – Many times would be in a recruit, and all he had to, or would get after a recruit, and all they needed for Evie was to come and, and seal the deal because he was a salesperson. He he had that personality, but he had a funny, quirky way about him, and sometimes he didn't didn't care if he did or not. You know, you know, he had a very contentious relationship with Alex Karras when uh-huh. he was here. Oh, Karras hated him. And uh, but Evie's family, you know, his wife Ruth was a wonderful person. My grandmother was very close with her, and my mother was close with her. And, Tom, you mentioned Marion, mm-hmm. uh, a daughter that uh, my wife, Penny, actually did student teaching under her wow. uh, back in the university. So there, And she liked, liked her a lot, you know, and uh, I don't know what, whatever happened to her uh, at, this, at this point. But I think the Evershevsky kids were all good kids. Mm-hmm. And uh, just Forrest, was a, he was a different animal. That's what I know. Yeah, that's part of that's part of his mystique and part of his legend. I, I go, I walk on Summit Street a lot. I, every time I walk by his house, you know the house, the white colonial house oh, there, John, right near Summit yeah, and Broward. Yeah, Summit Street. Yep, oh, I, yeah, I think yeah. about him every time I walk by there. I always look I, up there. I, I'm the same way as you, Pat. You know, my grandfather always felt everyone wanted to be both AD yes. and head football coach. And my grandfather thought they should have done given it to him because he just felt that you know it, it was better to have him be control of the levers uh but of course the board and control didn't want him to have Mm-mm. that control nope. and of course he made life miserable for jerry burns uh as his successor you know and didn't want jerry he didn't want jerry to overshadow him you know unlike bump elliott who wanted the coaches to have all the notoriety um evie was not of that ilk so in jerry, some ways so. evie had some some major flaws i mean to me that sounds selfish yeah. the fact that yeah, he... oh, i would yeah. i would agree and it's unfortunate because, like what you said, Tom, if Evie would have stayed on as football coach, you think Iowa would have been Nebraska, right? I, I, I do. 
I've I always felt that. Tom. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's no question. Remember Bob Devaney? Yeah, he was Bob Devaney before Bob Devaney. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I felt the same way. You know, Evie did hire Ralph Miller, and that was a great hire for basketball. Mm-hmm. And and I don't think Ralph would have left if it hadn't been for the furor, the the turmoil in the athletic department. You know, that was occurring at that time with Evie and Ray Nagel. And I think uh, Ralph was just fed up with all the all the all the drama. So, John, and for you too, Tom. Why did Evie stay here? Why didn't he go somewhere else? Why didn't he go back to Michigan? Why didn't he ever coach again? I mean, why did he stay here for 10 years and just live through this misery? Why do you think it was? I think, well, I think ego uh, was a part of it. Okay. Uh, I do too. For sure. Yep. Um, that was the character of the man. And, uh, you know, you're, but I think, I think he'd been rumored for several pro jobs. But I don't know that they ever materialized. So you, you think know? his family uh, was also happy here too, though? You think that mattered? Yeah. Sure. Okay. Okay. Sure, yeah, they were definitely, definitely, Pat. Okay. absolutely for sure. So, but yeah, interesting. A great interview with Chuck Yagla. Uh, I wanted to compliment you on that. That's, Thank you. That, that brings back a lot of memories, mm-hmm. certainly with Gary Kirtlemeyer and. Uh, uh, Gable and I are contemporaries because he and I have birthdays within days of each other. We're both the same age. So I watched him wrestle for Waterloo West at City High. And I tell you, I, he didn't want to blink when he wrestled at City High. He pinned this guy in about 10 seconds. It was just <laughs> boom. <laughs> he did a lot of that. Can you imagine yeah. being, his, being his opponent? <laughs> he sure did. Yes, yes he did. Oh. Yeah, so, great, John, great did, program, gentlemen. John, did you, have it, did you have it for Evie's daughter? Sounds like everybody did. I, I'm not going to comment on that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right, John. Thanks. Thanks, guys. Talk to you. Bye-bye. Well, I did. I could, I could talk. I As could, a senior in high school. I could talk about Evashevsky for, I mean, I've just always been. Because, like I said, part of his mystique were his flaws. I mean, yep. he was a very. Oh, very true. Very. I mean, I know I've asked you this before, but how would, how would your dad have summed up Evie? Uh, intimidating. What would he have said good about him? Um, uh, uh, hard but great coach. Okay, able to uh, inspire me. Yes, uh, and able to get what he needed out of the players. Okay. Hello. Hey, it was in Jim Zobel's book that came out probably 15, 20 years ago. He recounted a story about Evie sitting in his office there at the football offices and when he was head coach. And he had his feet up on the desk, and the athletic director at the time came in and made a comment that he said, the president's office has requested 20 tickets for sponsors, and we need to get them to him. And Evie said, without even looking up from the newspaper, F them. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So that was Paul Breckler, probably. <laughs> okay. I mean, huh? <laughs> Thank you. I love that. Yeah, that's, that's a great that's, story. That's a great story. I mean, the Evie stories. And the other thing that can't be overlooked with Evie, yes, he was intimidating, partly because he was big and tough. But very tough. I mean, there's small people that can be intimidating with their power and everything. Evie had power, but Evie also, I mean, the guys on those 50 teams, I remember talking to them, the guy, you know, a lot of them are not with us anymore, but I remember talking to those guys 20, 30 years ago. Evie was the toughest guy on that team back in the 50s. And he, he had a gaze that he could level at you and you just... Milf. Ooh, okay. Yeah, and remember, he taught arm-to-arm combat to soldiers training for World War II. Yeah. Evie was the one... Oh, who he was a tough... Yeah, he was a, a tough... And he was big. He was a big man, too. Yeah. He wasn't 5'8", and I mean, he was a big mm-hmm. man. So, but I don't know how we went from 
I'm a red. Well, I mean, the Gary Kirtlemeyer thing. I mean, I don't know. This whole thing with Gary Kirtlemeyer, the way he stepped aside for Dan Gable, Gary Kirtlemeyer in so many ways was just the opposite of Forrest Evershevsky. Is that fair to say? Um, yeah. As far as uh, just as letting far, something be bigger vision. than him. He had a vision. He had a vision, but also allowing something to be bigger than mm-hmm. his ego. I mean, every, to me, it seems like Evie's ego got in his way a lot. I, I would say yes. Where Gary Kirtlemeyer was able to put his ego aside for the good of the Iowa wrestling program. Is that fair to say? It, absolutely. Okay. Well, now that we've got all absolutely that figured out, now we, what do we work on next? What, what's the next problem we solve? Um, Kids in schools this fall? Okay. I sure hope. I sure hope they are. Go. I, mean, uh, I sure. Well, after that interview yesterday, I could say whatever she said. I, I hope they are in school. I just. I wouldn't send my kid to. school. But I would not send my school right now. If I had a kid going to school right now, I wouldn't send my kid to school right now. Now we'll see in a month. We'll see what happens in a month. I mean, but. I mean, how many cases are we doing a day in Iowa right now? Where are we? Uh, I mean, we had seven hundred at one point. Are we, seven, uh, are we still on those? Because remember, we were doing the 200s and 300s. Now six we're, or, we're at, I think, still at six or seven, aren't we? I don't know. We have to. Have to I, save, uh, save COVID, what's the latest COVID numbers for Iowa today? How many or? or just how many cases? I'm looking. And Iowa usually releases their update. Yeah, right about now. 700. See, yeah, we're in the, that that's was, not good. That was yesterday. I mean, we're in the 700. That's not good. No. no. Okay, there's 460 new cases, um, three deaths, positive, positivity rate nearly 20% in the last 24 hours. That's just not good. Nope. That is not good at all. That's so much worse than it was in I mean, there's not 17,000 like Florida, but it's too many for, for Iowa. And the Johnson County, there are too, were too many. What did I hear this morning? Sixty some yeah. new cases yesterday. Yes. Yeah, and that's that's too many. That's too many, and we're running out of time. No, this is just going completely haywire, and it is absolutely uh, the fault of no, you know, no national plan. It's it, Trump's it fault. It is. I mean, at this point, yeah, at this he point, did even, not invent the virus, but he has enabled it. Yeah, China. Has, I mean, I fully blame China for lying and yep. being deceitful and covering up and making this crap come over here. I, I'm all for yeah, blame China all you want, but that's six months ago. We've had plenty of time to try to combat this thing, like other nations have, and we're not doing it. And we're divided. No, not at all. And they're succeeding. And sports is going to suffer from it. They succeeded, mm-hmm. and. Uh, we're just spiraling out of control. And sports is what we do, and it's going to suffer big time. I didn't think Chuck sounded like he's convinced that next wrestling. Did you Did you kind of? Yeah. He didn't sound convinced that next wrestling will even. It's just there's so much. Uncertainty. Uncertainty. That's right. Unknown and uncertainty. And, I mean, and if the wrestling season gets pushed back, at some point Spencer Lee wants to, you know, he wants to make the Olympic team. Yeah. And it right will. now he's been willing to try to do both, but at some point you worry that he may have to make a choice and. Well, I'm, at some it, point, the other thing is, is, is there going to be an Olympics? Well, I'm good question. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I mean, that's in Japan, right? Yeah. yeah. What's going on in Japan numbers-wise? Japan's got it down, but Japan's still hedging its, its bets on the Olympics. It's, it's, but you bring in people from all over the world. Yeah. Yes. Well, that's the problem, yes. and that's what they've said. Yeah. They don't – I mean, there's people in Japan um, – I just was reading something on it. Uh, their television uh, pool in Japan that's working with the, the networks here 
is not guaranteeing, um, you know, number one, NBC's got the Olympics, and they don't know that they'll let NBC's uh, uh, travel in yet. Yeah, it's just so much uncertainty right now. Everything's so fluid. I just, I just don't know what's going to happen. I, no, I wish no, I was more not. optimistic about football, but I'm just not. Well, with Maryland, you know, shutting down their practices, you know, I mean, it's just the worst. It's the worst sign. Well, in Maryland and Rutgers have already said 80% of their fall classes are going to be online, right? Mm-hmm. To me, that's the beginning of the end of football. I just don't it's see It's so freaking weird when you've got all of this crap happening and it rising and everything that you're getting a message out of the administration that it's all lies and everything's fine. It's, this is just like bizarro world. I mean, it seriously is because... You know, they can say, well, we're doing more testing and everything, but that does not explain all the people now in hospitals no, of course and, not. and on ventilators. I mean, the, it's just, this is bizarro. Yeah, I don't get this one. I get the politics games. I get it. The left yeah. and right, they both play politics together. This one, though, is just, this one's weird when there is so many facts that can Now... The hardcores will dispute that 137,000 and say, oh, a bunch of those, 90, probably most of those died of the flu, and you're just calling it COVID to push your deep state agenda. That's what they say. Yeah, I know. That's what they're saying, and I, you know, there's nothing you can do to convince those people. They're going to believe what you want. All I know is they say, I, mean, I know people that have died from COVID. I mean, I mean, the, the teacher at Regina. I mean, yeah, I mean there's, yeah, we know people. Everybody's been touched by this thing. The Regina community was devastated. Well, he was 71 years old. He was in perfect health. You know, I mean. Well, it's like 71 years old is expendable. Well, I, I am, know. That's what I, I am but that's, 71 That's what I'm old. saying, though. That's what people, well, he was 20 pounds overweight. You know, I mean, um, I mean, well, he had a cross eye. I mean, there's an excuse for everything. Yeah. yeah. You know, and I just, I don't but, know. Uh, but most of the cases now and most of the cases in Florida and, uh, and Texas are between the ages of 18 and 40. And most of them get out of it fine. I get it, yes. yes. Yeah. But you don't, I worry more about the one or two elderly people that get infected and then die. I mean, that's, that's the risk of this thing, the that's domino right. effect. And yeah. I just, like I said, I had somebody, I wrote a column. I actually pitched the first um, tweet I've ever pinned on my profile, just telling people, where, I hate wearing masks. And I wrote a column just saying... Oh. I mean, they're annoyed. They they hurt the back of my ears. They make my glasses fog. Yep. They get gross and moist. They're hard to breathe. But it's a small price to pay if it's going to help us get back to some sense of normalcy, if mm-hmm. it's going to help us have football in the fall. And it, I'm not saying... That's part of the template yes. to solve the problem. And, but then I, I, got, I, I knew, I, I, knew I, I got attacked by Hawkeye Trumpers, you know, showing me. This one guy showed a video of some doctor, like, she, like I think Brahma Camp said it looked like she was talking in like some wine cellar or something like that, basically saying that she had all these facts about masks. And I, and I said to this guy, okay, I could find you 10 doctors that would ca- contradict everything she said and said these are why you should wear masks. I, you could I mean, find 10,000. There's way more people saying that. So, but that's the world we're in right now, and I think we're going to end up getting burned from it. And all these people that are scoffing at the idea of wearing masks, they're going to be the ones bitching and moaning when there's no football this fall. And I'll be like, hey, you know, you had your chance. They're going to be bitching and moaning when they lose their relatives too. But then they'll blame. Because this thing can keep skyrocketing. If it's not stopped, <clears throat> there's nothing to stop it from skyrocketing. Well, I mean, no. right now, in four months, 135,000 deaths. You know? Mm-hmm. Well, that's four months. And that's with social yeah. distancing and, and shutting things down. Yeah, yeah, and without sports. 
Hello? Not concerts. Hey, uh, I'm an ex-hospital worker, and I, uh, the mask and the shield debate, here's, what, here's the way I look at it, is all over the country, healthcare workers are working with positive people that have the virus, and they're not getting it in alarming or large numbers. And I think that alone tells you that wearing a mask or wearing a shield is going to help protect you from good getting point. the virus. You Very bet. good point. You bet. No, I, I guess I hadn't thought of it. Thank you very much. Thank you, and that is yeah. a good point. That yeah. is a good point. What was that at the end there? He wanted the, to accent that by turning the radio up. Oh. <laughs> but no, that that is, I mean, I mean, there have been some doctors, but for the most part, you haven't heard much about um, medical staff members Anymore, it seems like they figured out how to treat, how to protect themselves better as this well, thing is progressed. He tweeted something about from a doctor at the Helsinki Institute, and somebody pointed out uh, the Helsinki Institute itself doesn't exist. That was the thing that was pushing the hair loss cure, <laughs> <laughs> and it was just put on there as a joke. Uh, so I mean, it, it, this is just, no, it's bizarre when everything's rising and everything that you've got this denial out of the freaking federal government. And these are people, you know, he picked the leader of the CDC. Mm -hmm. He picked... And he made a good choice. Yeah, he picked all these people that are running these organizations. And now he's calling them liars. He picked them. These are not leftovers from the Obama administration. Fauci has been doing it since freaking, you know, uh, Haji and... And Johnny Quest, but he's he's been there. And he's made mistakes in this thing. Yeah, everyone has. They showed his statement that they're saying was a mistake. But he has made some stuff based on what he knew at time, and he was wrong, and he's admitted it because it's it's a a new thing. Yeah, it's a novel virus. The Trumpers point to that, but then they ignore all the mistakes that their leader has made in this thing. I mean, Fauci has made some mistakes. I admit it, but he's still. I, I I don't know. I just trust him. Fauci said, you know, what they're pointing to as a mistake that they're using today uh, is they cut the they cut the tape before he said uh, that, you know, but if things go up, if things then we're going to have to take different tactics and we're going to have to get serious, more serious about this. He said that early on and they haven't included that part of it. Did he say early on that there was no proof that masks help? Because that's one that keeps getting thrown back in his face. He said right now we don't need masks. Okay. But if we see it rising. That's that's being considered one of his mistakes. Yeah. The other problem, Captain, you've even admitted this, some of the Democrats said some stupid stuff, like Pelosi, the Chinatown stuff in late February. That was stupid. Because they don't, yeah, because these guys... Yeah, Democrats, Republicans, these guys aren't freaking scientists no. and doctors. And they all both sides said some stupid things mm, back yeah, and forth. Yeah, absolutely. I'm willing to but now we're in July and this thing's still raging and none of that has anything to do with anything anymore. No. Now it's how are we dealing with this now? And I'm looking at this partly selfishly through sports, because that's how we make our living. Yeah. And I just have a feeling our industry is going to be just devastated this fall, and well, we're going to suffer I, big time. I, the whole community is going to be devastated this fall, whether we got sports or not. It seriously is, uh, because that $110 million is not coming in. Only a fraction of it is coming mm-hmm. in. Well, and, and that's as of damn, now. I mean, it's damn scary. That, and I think that fraction that we're thinking right now, oh, we're going to have at yeah. least five home games. Well, that could be five home games with like a hundred people in the stands. Yeah, no, it's it, this is just, 
It's Jesus tough. I mean, it's Christ. just. And then you want to get Neil Diamond yelling at. Wear your mask. <laughs> you think he'd be a mask wearer? Uh, yes. And very yes. What if Ted Nugent opened up for him? Huh? Uh, well, that. <laughs> yeah. Whatever. <laughs> Would you what go if see Ted Nugent opened no. up for a speech from Evie? <laughs> I wouldn't go to a Ted Nugent con- concert for five thousand dollars. How much would he draw at Kinnick? Who Ted, Ted Nugent? Nugent. Hmm. Uh, I would say maybe a five six thousand. I was going to say six or seven. Yeah. Okay. No, Ted Nugent is not the. I've never liked his music. He's not big Ted enough. Nugent doesn't even fill Ferris anymore. Well, I've never liked his music even before I realized no, what he was all it, about no, politics. No, because it really isn't. Not music. Yeah, it really isn't. All right, Captain Ted Nugent or Iggy Pop? Iggy Pop, Tom? only because I, uh, I wish such yes, Iggy. terrible things on Ted Nugent. Did you ever interview and Iggy I Pop? Go, no. You never interviewed Iggy Pop, <laughs> Captain. <laughs> Well, I interviewed President uh, Bush and But you've never Obama. interviewed Iggy Pop. You've never interviewed <laughs> Nor have I. No, I've never interviewed Iggy Pop. I think we need to change that. Let's I try think, to get him on. Yeah, I think Iggy Pop. Gaten's you listening? I think Iggy Pop sucks. You think Gator could get Iggy Pop? <laughs> and I don't. No. Do you like Iggy Pop? No. No, no, I don't. Not, I don't like Not in the slightest. Wasn't Iggy's no. Pop in the Stooges? Isn't that his yeah, band? Yeah, Iggy Pop in the Stooges. And were they kind of like heavy metal punk in a way almost? Yeah, yeah but they did. No, I don't like that yeah, stuff. I'd rather sucked. see the three Stooges. They sucked. Yeah. Hello? If it ain't music, what is it, Captain? It ain't music. What is it? Just because he's an idiot politically, how can it not be No, music? no, no, it's music. Oh, Mace yeah, calling him out. You're right. you're right, it's music, but it's it's not very um, appealing. Advanced. It's just music you don't like. Yeah, it's just crap. It's okay. just absolute crap, Mace. It's okay, done. Sure. It's done. No, and I've said the same thing about some of the music you guys listen to, but I acknowledge it's music. I mean, it's music. I'll give you, I'll give you that. It's, he's... He's a festering boil uh, in the music industry with pus and blood. How do you like that? Thanks, Mace. Do you like Did that, you have Mace. to get the pus Lang in there? Bang, sweet poontang is just a great tune. Come oh, on, Jesus Captain. Christ. <laughs> the only one I've heard is Wango Tango. That's the only song by Ted Nugent uh, I've ever heard of. Great White Cat Buffalo. Scratch fever. Oh, Cat Scratch Fever. That's right. Okay, you're right. I, I heard that one. Yeah. That well, actually probably made him some money, didn't it? Didn't that? Oh, go? yeah. Oh, that all yeah. made him money. Oh, sure. Yeah, as he uh, continued his pedophilic ways and, uh, uh, you know, living sure. with 16-year-olds and having their uh, their appearance turn them over to him. He's a son of a bitch. Well, and he there isn't a, hottest, a hotter place in hell that he deserves to go to. The hottest place in hell. He deserves to writhe in fire and watch his, f- watch his flesh fall off at his feet. How do you like that, Mace? I'm, I, this is why I call. <laughs> Thank you, Mace. Mission accomplished. Okay. Now, this went fast. This is a... Well, we had Ch- I, that half an hour with Chuck went very fast, and that was fun. I mean, that was no, it something was different. Great. It was something yeah. different. It was nice to get our minds off of, you know, the pandemic, the stuff with Iowa football. I mean, of course, that's not going away, and we're all waiting anxiously for maybe they'll announce the advisory board this week. Think they'll? Boy, I hope so. We to, you want to get the ball rolling on that, and uh, sooner get or later, some things figured out. Sooner or later, the review is going to come out. Yeah, and, and so. 
We'll see. I mean, I and it just can't be great news. No, whatever, no, whatever no. it is. If it's just great, hey, we really learned our lesson, and that, it, that will not go over well at all. Hello. I tell you what, I just never knew how important a case of athletic tape could be. That's a pretty awesome story. No, it was. That was interesting. <laughs> yep. True. No, I actually may write about something that I guess I've never really understood the greatness of Gary Kirtlemeyer. Yeah, I think was, that'd be a great story. And his greatness was recognizing the greatness of Dan Gable. Now, unfortunately, Gary's not with us anymore. I mean, no. Um, how Evie, are Evie's children most still alive, like the teacher you talk about? Oh, yeah. Marion's, Marion's a friend of mine on Facebook. As far as I know, as far as I know. Think it'd be ever interesting getting one of them on? Think they'd ever come on? Like a son? I don't know. And then we can ask how mean their father was? No, I don't think that would be. Well, I know John. <laughs> I'm kidding. John might have been the youngest. He was a real good wrestler. And my guess is Evie probably treated his kids. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's not yelling at his kids. <laughs> well, he did. My parents yelled yeah. at me when I needed to well, be yelled at. Could you imagine, though, being Evie's kid and having him, like, you, oh, you broke the flower vase in your father's forest. I was just, wait till I wait till daddy gets home. You know, think about that. But he may have been just the opposite with it. You know, he may have been. A well, big, I mean, you know, you. Would you have imagined that he was very liberal if you had not? No, I would have thought he was conservative. And that's what people would think, but he was extremely liberal. I remember Alex Karras an interview saying, I hated Evashevsky's guts. But then he said later on that he sort of got to realize that he just wanted to win and get the best out of me, but he just went about it. And he, I mean, Alex Karras was not bashful about his dislike no. of Forrest. No, he sure wasn't. It was, I mean, and I don't know, if did they ever come to a... Truce? Did they ever get together? I think together? that kind of a... It's softened? Uncomfortable... Uh, Acceptance? Yes. Okay. Okay. But there was no come to Jesus hug. And I don't think a so. A weekend at Evie's house for Alex Karras was there. I, I don't think do there not was. think so. But I'll tell you what. Every supporters would say, look, Alex Karras won the Outland Trophy playing for Evashevsky. And like um, John Ballmer said, Evie had, Evie had a way of getting you to perform. I mean, he could... It's, it's hard... Can't argue with the results on the football field. No. We had, when we had Karras on, and our uh, sports director uh, joined me and uh, Blaine Calkins, and he asked a little, because I didn't know, he asked a little, he said, uh, what about you and Evashevsky? And he goes, I'd rather keep this a pleasant, uh, <laughs> a pleasant interview where I'm not forced to swear. And that was it? I remember that. Yeah. Wow. That was, yeah. Which is unfortunate. You know, <laughs> which is unfortunate. Like I said, that I was in the that was in the eight, whenever that show was on. What I don't understand about wasn't Jerry Burns as Evie's assistant? Yes. Why would he try to undermine one of his own assistants? Because he didn't want him to outshine him. Uh, why would Trump try to undermine Dr. Fauci? I just don't get sometimes people <laughs> letting their egos get in their way. You know. Hello. Hello, fellas. Long time listener, first time caller. All Real right. Quickly, who would you rather see, Ginger Baker? Or G.G. Allen? Ginger Baker. Ginger Baker. Uh, Although both have joined the choir invisible, yeah. so one did not uh, smear himself with feces. But remember, you guys heard that G.G. Allen song and were very high up. I, it was I a was good song. pleasantly surprised. Yeah, that was a good song, but that, you know, I'd rather listen to that than see him on bandstand fearing himself with True. Smearing himself. Can you imagine G.G. Allen on the Ed Sullivan <laughs> show getting poop on his tuxedo? <laughs> Ew. <laughs> what would Ed have done if, like, the excrement got on his tuxedo? Remember that scene with like, George? Can you imagine Ed Sullivan going, 
you can't uh, crap on, <laughs> on the stage. <laughs> you know, like he's telling the Stones, you can't say sleep together or whatever. Gigi's yeah. telling him that he tell- can't rub feces all you over. You can't rub feces on my stage. <laughs> <laughs> Keep it on your body. Oh, my God. That was a good... We got to end on that question. That was a good question. A loyal listener, we appreciate the question. And thanks again to Chuck Yegla for um, coming on and Chris Brewer for helping to arrange that. And we we will continue to advance the narrative with Iowa Fundraising for Wrestling. Whatever you guys want us to talk about, let us know, and we'll help spread the word. Absolutely. HawkFanatic.com, check it out.